This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 23rd of July, 2009. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? I'm not the weakest link, Gihan. You are. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? Oh, I'm happy. I'm happy. Still haven't been struck down by swine flu, so maybe I'm not the weakest link yet. <laughs> Good. Um, yes, yeah, so our topic is is that. It's like the, the weakest link, and uh, I guess we should explain that because we're not talking about the, the TV show, of course, but we're talking about um, internet security, privacy and security, and the fact that perhaps the weakest link in the security chain is actually the user. It's not the technology, but it's you as the user. Yeah, that's right. So there are various technical technological measures out there to help you and prevent you uh, from making mistakes with spammers and scammers and so forth. But at the end of the day, uh, you have to take responsibility for your own actions on, on the internet. And uh, yeah, really, it's, it's down to you. You're the weakest link. So uh, we're going to talk about how to protect yourself in spite of all those technological measures that, you might, that might come to your aid. And we thought about this story particularly now because there was a very big news story in, in Australia, particularly um, in June, so just a, a few weeks ago. And I was out of the country at the time and I was following it uh, on the internet, but I was, it was still like I didn't know all the details. It, it became known as Utegate, and it involved the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition and a number of um, senior public servants. Uh, so perhaps, Chris, you were following it at the time. Can you just dis- describe and explain what that was all about? That's right, Gihan. You know it's a big scandal when they put the word gate on the end of it. And uh, in this case, uh, what happened was that uh, a journalist for News Corp he received um, from a source an email that um, appeared to be sent from the Prime Minister's office, from one of the staffers in the Prime Minister's office, to a guy called Godwin Gretsch, who is a public servant in the Treasury Department. And the content of the email appeared to be asking that Godwin give special treatment to one of the mates of the Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, and the Treasurer, Wayne Swan. So uh, that's pretty scandalous stuff, obviously. It's pretty improper for, uh, for uh, politicians to be asking for special favours for their mates. And so the journalist uh, passed this email on to the opposition, the Liberal Party, and then Godwin Gretsch was called before a Senate's estimate hearing, and he was grilled over this email. And he uh, wriggled and squirmed a bit and said, well, he thought he could recall having received an email of this nature, but he wasn't entirely sure whether he still had it. Um, so... The opposition got hold of this. Obviously, it's quite scandalous. Again, they called it Utegate in the in the press. Uh, as a consequence, uh, um, both Kevin Rudd and Wayne Swan vehemently denied having any knowledge of such an email, and they asked their staffer in the in the Prime Minister's office whether he'd sent it. He denied that, and that's the point at which the Australian Federal Police were called in. They uh, got their hands on Godwin Gretsch's um, hard disk. They found the email, and upon further examination, they found that the email was, in fact, a forgery. This throws into light the whole issue of uh, Internet scams, and in this case, a forged email. And and it raised two points for me. The first was that uh, it was a rather clumsy forgery. I don't know whether... We don't know who the forger was. We haven't learned the source who leaked the email to the journalist, and we're not entirely sure whether perhaps Godwin Gretsch was the person who forged the email. But it was fairly clumsy, and it's, it's, if, it was, if the idea was to smear the Prime Minister and the Treasurer, then it backfired because, uh, as a consequence, the leader of the opposition, his popularity went down in the polls subsequent to this whole scandal. But more than that, 
one would imagine that if a, a senior treasury official was receiving an email of that nature, which was highly improper, asking uh, for special favours for politicians' mates, then you don't just put it into a trash folder or forget about it. One would have thought, and I'm hoping he didn't act on it, and actually said about uh, giving uh, uh, special consideration to uh, the Prime Minister's mate, that he would have brought it to the attention of his superior and would have checked its authenticity. He would have, a simple phone call to the Prime Minister's office would have revealed that this was in fact a forgery, assuming of course it wasn't forged by Godwin himself. So that's, that's what got us thinking about the whole idea that we're all receiving these fraudulent emails all the time and we do have security measures, technological security measures in place to help us to raise flags, to bring them, bring them to our attention or to put them into spam folders. But at the end of the day, the content, if you're going to act on an email, you really, if it's, if it's calling for some serious action, then you need to think and authenticate that, that email first. And I think the, t the point is that even though the mistakes that we make um, with getting an email and acting on it improperly probably aren't going to make front page news around the country, they're still very important and they're just as important in our life as they were to the, to the reputation of Malcolm Turnbull, the leader of the opposition, Kevin Rudd, the Prime Minister and all the other parties involved in that, in that scandal. That's right. Uh, maybe it's not the technology now that's going to get in your way. In fact, technology has become even better now. So it's protecting you further. But that means that the scammers and the spammers uh, and the con artists have to rely more on the human factors to try and take advantage of you. We, we know that, uh, that people are being taken advantage of because uh, the spam and the phishing emails are still being sent out. If people weren't responding and taking the action that's called for in these emails, then they wouldn't bother doing it in the first place. I mean, there are these huge botnets out there that have been that have been constructed in order to send out all these spams and phishing emails. Uh, that takes a lot of effort, and that effort wouldn't have been invested in if there wasn't some sort of return. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Because I'm sure that every person that you speak to and I speak to, Chris, would say, oh, I hate getting all that spam. I just delete it straight away. And yet you referred me to a survey that was done that showed that more people did click spam links than, than not. That's right. More than half of the respondents to this survey admitted to having acted on spam messages. They'd either clicked on links within the messages or they'd replied to the message in some way. And astonishingly, uh, of, of those respondents who had um, followed up, 12% actually were interested in the product. So I guess there's a lot of organic Viagra being sold or Russian mail order brides being purchased through <laughs> as a result of spammers. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, that's the simplest way to stop spam is for everybody around the world to just ignore it. But if everybody stopped responding to spam, then we wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have a spam problem. And there's some phenomenal statistic. It's like, I don't know the exact number, but it's more than half of all internet traffic is purported to be spam traffic. So the load that it places on the infrastructure that we all are trying to make use of is phenomenal. It is, it is. And as you said, Chris, we're not only talking about spam, we're also talking about actually harmful software in the case of viruses or what's almost called malware and, and also phishing, which is the spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, which is the, the phenomenon of, of somebody trying to trick you into handing over your private confidential details, actually tricking you into going onto an online banking site or some other confidential site and handing over your usernames and passwords. And uh, a couple of years ago now, this podcast has been going for almost two years, 
one of our earliest podcasts was on this subject to fishing, but that was two years ago, and people obviously haven't listened to that podcast and followed our advice because it's still a problem these days. Um, so back way back then, uh, we brought to our listeners' attention a, a special uh, fishing and spam IQ quiz in which there were a series of legitimate and phishing emails presented to uh, to the users of the quiz and only a small fraction of people who did that quiz actually correctly identified which were the legitimate and which were the, uh, the scammers' emails. So the, the optimistic side of that or the positive side of that is that most people did identify the phishing emails uh, as phishing emails. In other words, they identified the fakes correctly. And again, most people identified legitimate emails correctly. But as you said, only 7%, actually the, the number was 7% of people got all 10 questions right. And um, I, did the, I did the quiz again, Chris. I just went on there in preparation for today's podcast. And it's still relevant. So it's still worth, it's still worth doing. And if you, if you actually keep your wits about you, it's pretty easy to tell which ones are legitimate and which ones are not. So we'll include a link to that in today's podcast so that uh, if you're interested in doing the quiz again, I think it's worth doing. It's still, it's still relevant and it's still worth testing your skills to tell whether you can spot the fakes from the real emails. Yeah, yeah. And as we said, the, the reason that phishing is still a problem is because it is still successful. People are still taken in by these scams and, uh, and there's still a return to be had by uh, going on a phishing expedition. Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one reason, as we said, for, uh, for spam, the reason that it continues and is so popular is because it must work. It must work for some people. And even if it's only a small percentage of the people that, that um, receive that email who then follow it and uh, take action with something like phishing, you might be giving over your bank details. It doesn't take many people for that to become a very profitable business. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there are various technological measures that uh, help protect us from this sort of fraud. There are spam filters. My um, Thunderbird, my email client Thunderbird, has a special uh, tool in it that detects any URLs in messages that have been disguised. So that, and also my uh, web client uh, Firefox has a special. Um, mechanism for checking that any website I visit hasn't been added to some blacklist of fraudulent websites. So we have all these technological measures in place. So it is getting harder to be taken in uh, by these scammers. Um, so they've had to resort to uh, simpler, not, not simpler tricks, but tricks that rely not so much on technolog technological um, um, attacks, but rather on taking you in using human frailties and one of the oldest tricks in the, on the internet is the, the 419 Nigerian scam so it doesn't rely on any um, technological fraud all it is is trying to take you in with the lure of big returns in return for you giving them a little bit of money yeah that's right and the, as you said but that's this plain standard email. It doesn't have to have been forged or anything. It's just something you get. You respond to it. You talk to real people, and they they slowly reel you in. And uh, you're right. So the the fact that the technology has got smarter um, actually has worked against us in one small way. In that the scammers have have got smarter as well, and now they're attacking us, which is why we think that maybe you're the weakest link in the chain rather than the computer that you're using. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about social networking uh, websites, Gihan? They're sort of taken off in the past couple of years, and so they've provided another avenue 
for fraudsters to uh, work upon people like you and me. Yeah, and I look, I think this is this is particularly dangerous, and it, it again lulls people into a false sense of security, because on on networks like Facebook and Twitter, it's quite common that you give permission for some stranger to get access to your to your data on there. Now, at first, when you first listen to this, you might say, "No, I've never done that," but actually, you have you probably have. So let's take Facebook for example. When when you join a new Facebook application or add a new Facebook application to your profile, probably because of friend has invited you to to add this to your profile most of them now i notice uh, they ask you uh, you have to tick these boxes that say i give permission for this application to read my private data to have access to my friends and so on um, and if you don't tick those boxes the application won't install so it won't work so people are people who are getting on the internet more recently are kind of getting used to this idea that you know if i'm going to use facebook i have to give these bits of software access to my personal and confidential information and maybe they don't even realize that this was not created by facebook even though it says this was not created by facebook it's just very easy for people to just tick yes to everything and those boxes are ticked by default anyway um and that just means that they get a little bit lazy yeah it's it's kind of strange in so much as we're all very careful about making sure that our privacy settings on Facebook have been set so that only our friends uh revealed our personal details and and have access to our profiles but people are rather blasé about things like an application they seem to think that because it's a Facebook application it's not another person and so um don't seem to really bother about securing themselves against revealing information to third party applications through Facebook yeah and as you say it actually is another person it is somebody who's written that application and it could have been a scammer who's written an application that as far as you know all it's doing is something very good and beneficial for you so it it might you may never realize that that scammer has taken has taken all your friends and taken your private information and used it for their own purposes because it might just be an application that you installed it's working normally it seems to be doing stuff that that you like um and but secretly it's uh, doing nefarious things as well i think twitter's the same yeah. chris i think twitter uh, is possibly even more dangerous because twitter's become very popular now and uh, one of the very prominent uh, twitters guy kawasaki who's a technology expert recently he had his twitter account hacked and uh, ah. somebody was able to get into his account and send out tweets you know on it as if they were him and uh, with the the speculation is that the way they were able to do that is because he signed up to some Twitter application so some Twitter program that made his Twitter experience um, better but actually it was created by some scammer um who then took the took advantage of the uh, all the people who signed up to that software and got their Twitter usernames and passwords and there are many many applications Uh, for Twitter Twitter has been written in such a way that it actually encourages other programmers to enhance it and many of them have but every time you uh, sign up to one of these enhancements and they're often free so every time you sign up uh, it asks you for your Twitter username and password and some of them say we only use this for this purpose um or we we don't store this forever or whatever but you just have to take their word for it okay right yep so much the same as facebook applications yeah and i think it's worse because you actually give them your like with facebook applications you don't give them your facebook password but with twitter you have to give them your password so that they can get access to your account to do supposedly good things it actually happened with okay. actually happened with one of my clients as well chris i saw that he had a tweet that said um 
amazing. I just signed up for this service and got a thousand followers in two weeks. And it had a link there. I had a look at his Twitter account and he didn't have a thousand followers. Um, then I had a look at the link to see what service he'd signed up to and read the terms of service carefully, which I'm sure he and most other people wouldn't bother doing. And sure enough, it says that um, you give permission for this service to send out uh, a promotional message within six hours and send out regular promotional messages using your Twitter account. Right. I'm sure he wouldn't have realized that, and I'm sure he wouldn't have agreed to that if he'd known and if that was up front. I would say that he signed up to it in good faith, assuming that it would give him some benefits, and maybe does, but it also has this drawback. Now, another aspect of Twitter is that many people use URL shortening services in order to cram a long URL into fewer characters. One of the most popular ones of those is Bitly. But a side effect of that is that you don't actually see the URL in the tweet. You see a shortened version of it. And uh, there's some risk that you're clicking on a hyperlink that's going to take you to a desti- an unknown destination. So there's a risk there that uh, at the end of that destination is perhaps a website that has exploits a browser vulnerability to install a um, to install a virus or something like that. Yes, yeah, so I guess what we're saying is that the, the very first level of protection, which is just having a look at the link to say uh, to see whether it looks legitimate, is taken away from you because you can no longer do that. Yeah. So, so uh, sorry, I was just going to mention that one of the technological protections uh, available in that case is that Bitly offer a browser plugin that will um, remove the shortened URL and show you what the actual destination URL is so that before you click on it, at least you've got um, some idea of where you're headed. Yes, and in fact, uh, Firefox, if you use the, the, the Twitter add-in called Power Twitter, it will do that as well for all the URL shortening services. When you look at, if you're using um, Twitter, using a web browser, using Firefox, you'll see all the, the URLs expanded. But the thing is, not, not everybody's using Firefox. So it's up to the people who write the Twitter software, the, the, the Twitter little add-on software, to add those sort of features in. The other thing with URLs like Bitly, Chris, is that uh, somebody has listened to podcasts a couple of days ago and somebody pointed out that more and more people are now seeing these Bitly URLs, and we should explain what Bitly is, is B-I-T dot L-Y. So that's the, the, the front of a, a web address starts off with that. And more and more people are seeing that and they're getting comfortable with it. And so they might, again, just not realizing that that could come from anywhere and it could lead anywhere, they would just click on that link because they've seen their friends sending them Bitly links in the past. And in fact, anyone could create a Bitly link, but they don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so how do we stop Malcolm Turnbull from getting egg on his face next time, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) So what do we we need to do to protect ourselves? Yes, uh, Malcolm's on his own, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) So I think uh, the the, the take-home message is that uh, people need to to be vigilant because at the end of the day, you you have to take responsibility for your actions on the Internet, and so you've got lots of technological measures available to help you. Um, So use that protection, but don't allow it to lull you into a false sense of security. At the end of the day, think about what it is you're about to do and use some common sense to help you along. I think the common sense thing is, uh, and somebody said common sense is the most uncommon of all the senses, Uh, but the common sense thing is probably the best piece of advice. Uh, And just understand that you really are opening yourself up to a world 
of opportunity, but also a world of risk. Uh, whenever you're on the internet, people kind of forget that, hey, these are people on the other side of the world, potentially, who are trying to take advantage of me. And there's some common sense things you can do. For example, a client of mine recently sent me an email. It's an email that he received saying that somebody is trying to register his domain name in China. And as a courtesy, uh, they're sending him this email asking whether he wants to register it uh, because he's got that domain name in Australia. And he was wondering, is this legitimate? Is it a scam? Is it just some somebody trying to drum up business? Um, and I think the common sense response to it is, yeah, yeah, it's a scam. It's a scam. Like, why would some domain name registrar in Hong Kong um, go to all the trouble of contacting some other domain name owner? It just creates trouble for themselves. They just don't do that. They'll register the Chinese domain name to whoever asked for it. They'll take the money, and then they'll leave it for lawyers to fight out if there's any dispute in the future. So the common sense response is, yeah, this is probably a scam, and so I should probably just stay away from it. Yeah, yeah. But at the other end of the spectrum, Gihan, one of the, the bits of advice that you've listed in our notes is not to sweat the small stuff. Yeah, so what I mean by that is that, you know, if you, if, um, Cherie tells you, Chris, uh, sends you an email saying, can you pick up some milk back on the way home from work, then you're probably not going to check whether it's a forged email. <laughs> That's right. I'm just not going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Like you always ignore Cherie's emails, do you? Um, yeah, because for two reasons. One is, uh, it's, it's probably Cherie. There's nothing for her to gain from it. Uh, there's nothing to gain from somebody uh, scamming you and there's very low risk to you so there's very low cost if it happens to be for some weird reason if it does happen to be a forged email or a scam it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it's the it's the cost of a uh, a bottle of milk yeah and that could happen legitimately like she may have sent that email three days ago and it somehow got blocked and you received it three days later still you probably go and get the milk because it's the, the cost to you is so low the risk to you is so low but when it's when it's important then it could uh, be talking about the prime minister's office and uh, high levels of government well then i think you should look a little bit more a little bit more carefully at at the facts and try to get down to the bottom of it and, uh, and your final bit of advice also was not to, not to be scared off. I mean, we've, we've mentioned things about Twitter and Facebook applications and people who are thinking about embarking into social networks. Uh, we don't want to scare people off. On the contrary, go and, go and use these technologies, get familiar with them, understand how they work and what you're doing when you're, when you're using these tools um, rather than just steering clear of them uh, out of fear. I was reading an article uh, a couple of days ago, Chris, about how to, how travellers can look after themselves in dangerous cities, uh, particularly business travellers who are probably the only ones who would travel to dangerous cities, you know, likely to go there for a, for a holiday. Um, and a lot of the tips that they were talking about seemed like common sense to me, and I realised they're common sense only because I considered myself now a fairly seasoned traveller, not to dangerous places, but I, I travelled a lot, and you've travelled a lot, and so for us, some of the things that we take for granted are things that we've just learnt over time, um, and it's very different than somebody arriving at an airport for the first time, and they're just spotted by the scammers and the con artists. And I think the same is true on the internet. The more you do it, the more you immerse yourself in it, the more familiar you'll be, the more comfortable you'll be, and the more your common sense will grow so that you actually realize um, when you're going down a dark alley and whether you decide to go down there at all or whether you decide to go down there uh, with a little bit of protection. So, uh, yes, immerse yourself in it and listen to more of our podcast for more common sense. Absolutely, absolutely, so that you don't end up being the weakest link. All right, Gihan, well, we'll have more of this uh, in a fortnight's time, so speak to you then. Will do. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Bye for now. 
You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.